It's a joy to welcome you this morning. If you're new with us, my name is David Cassidy, and I'm the lead pastor here at Spanish River Church. Before we get uh, tucked into the message this morning, I wanted to take a moment to tell you about September 17th and 18th. On Saturday night and Sunday morning that weekend, we're going to be honoring and giving thanks for one of the pastors that has meant so much to all of us And to me in particular, he's been uh, shepherding me months before uh, Tony and I even moved here. And I'm so thankful for him. After 30 plus years of ministry and uh, 30 years right here at Spanish River, Dan Myers is going to be retiring on the 17th and 18th. And I told him he can retire all he wants, but people will still call him and ask him. To help, And so I want to encourage, you're going to be hearing more about that, but on the 17th and 18th, you come ready to celebrate the Myers and give thanks to the Lord for them. And, and uh, I, I tell you, I don't know what we're going to do without them, but I'm so grateful for it. If you're new with us today, you've come on a great Sunday to sort of check things out because this Sunday is a time where we're talking about, we do this every year, just take a minute to remind ourselves of what we know. Peter said, it's good that I remind you of the things that you know. And we need reminders and we're going to stop for just a minute here today and we're going to say, well, well, we're going to answer the question, what on earth are you doing for heaven's sake? We, we have been called by Jesus to be his own and forgiven for our sins, but he calls us together with a particular purpose. And I want to invite you to turn over to Acts chapter 26, and while you're going there, I want to read to you from an Old Testament prophet with a, a difficult name, Habakkuk. And um, he writes these words, I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower and look to see what the Lord will say to me and how I will answer concerning my complaint. And the Lord answered me, write the vision, make it plain on tablets so that the one who reads it can run. For still the vision waits for its appointed time. It hastens to the end, it will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it, it will surely come. It will not delay. This is a time for us today to reflect on the vision that's been entrusted to us and the mission that God has given us together as a people. We're going to do that from Acts chapter 26 together. It's important for us to understand that God in saving us, each and every single one of us, does not call us simply to himself for forgiveness so that we can just go to heaven at the end of life. No, he saves us with a particular purpose in mind, and we'll see that, and he envisions us for that. Just a couple of nights ago, the remarkable, the great Serena Williams wrapped up her incredible singles career at the U.S. Open. Um, She lost in a third-round match, and um, of course, there were a lot of tears, a lot of cheers, everybody celebrating this remarkable athlete after 23 Grand Slam championships, finally calling it a day. And when the match came to an end, all, um, everybody of course stood, great ovation, all to the music of uh, Tina Turner's Simply the Best. We'll close the service with that today, it'd be really exciting. <laughs> Simply the Best. And of course, um, she, you know, just a remarkable champion. In a tribute to her, Nike, one of her sponsors, um, put out on social media, 
a little film montage that goes right back to when she was a little girl, when she was six or seven years old and she's standing with her dad and he says to her as she's working on her serve and of course they merged this with pictures of her serve in the US Open. So she's six, seven years old, he hands her the tennis ball and he's working with her serve and he says, that's right, drive through it. You are, you are Serena Williams. Drive through that just like you're at the US Open. He saw in her and her sister Venus greatness and envisioned them for what might unfold in their lives. Now, when it comes to us, our Father in heaven saw something in us. It was not greatness. Can we just say that? What he saw in us was sinfulness and weakness and brokenness. In fact, in many cases, the scriptures say, We were God's enemies. Jesus teaches his people to love their enemies, and the reason for that is because God the Father, when we were his enemies, when we were his opponents, when we hated God, loved us to life. And that happens here in Acts chapter 26. Now what you have here is the former Saul of Tarsus, who becomes Paul the apostle because Jesus comes to him, blinds him so that he can envision him, And in that moment, Saul of Tarsus not only sees Christ and has his sins forgiven, but he is envisioned. God lays hold of him. You see, when God lays hold of a Christian, God saves people. Churches, my friends, churches are not cold storage facilities stacking up Christians until the second coming. Churches are communities of the the redeemed who are being equipped for a mission and a purpose that God gives to us as long as there is air in our lungs, a purpose that he has anointed us for and called us for, and every single believer has been gifted with graces to carry out the great mission of God in the world. You see, my friends, there is a mission and there is a purpose. Let's look at Acts chapter 26. Paul is before King Agrippa who's the last of the Herodian princes. So an eminently powerful figure, and he's relating to him what happened to him on the road to Damascus when he met Christ. Verse 12, in this connection, I journeyed to Damascus. In connection with what? Well, he's going to Damascus to arrest Christians, to imprison Christians, to stamp out the Jesus movement. He hates Jesus. That's who Paul was before he met Jesus. He hated Jesus, and then he met Jesus. At midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven, brighter than the sun that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said to me, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand upon your feet. I have appeared to you for this purpose. Would you say that phrase with me? I have appeared to you for this purpose. To appoint you, and then he uses two important words, a servant and a witness. When Christ lays hold of a person, he lays hold of them with a purpose, and that purpose is to turn us into servants and witnesses. Servants and witnesses of what? To the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you, 
delivering you from your people in the Gentiles to whom I am sending you to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Therefore, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus and then in Jerusalem and then through the region of Judea and then to the Gentiles that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. This is the word of the Lord. Would you pray with me? Lord, we we thank you for your word. We ask that you would establish it in our hearts and establish our hearts in your word, that we may be those who love your word and do it. And we pray this through Christ our Lord. Amen. So we stop for a moment. We say, well, what's the, what's the vision? What's the mission? Well, it's no different than the day Spanish River Church was founded. When David Nicholas founded this church, he founded it to be a church that was on mission, to bring Jesus to the world, to bring Jesus to our members, to bring Jesus to our neighbors, to bring Jesus to the nations, to preach the gospel, to be faithful to the gospel. In a certain way, every single Christian church has exactly the same structure of mission, though we use perhaps different language for it. There must in every congregation be ministry to the Lord and worship and prayer, an upward ministry. There must be ministry to one another in care and in community and inward ministry. And there has to be a ministry to our neighbors and to our city and to the nation and the nations of the world and outward focus ministry and mission. So upward and inward and outward, every single faithful church has those movements going on. They may use different language to express it. They may have different emphases at different times, but all three of those must be present in a healthy congregation. If a congregation ceases to be worshipful, ceases to be caring, ceases to be missional, then it ceases to be healthy. And so in a certain way, all three have to be present and growing. And so the way in which we describe the purpose and the mission, that outward focus that God's given us, is this way. It's from Ezekiel, everything will live where the river goes. See, every single Christian, Jesus said, has a river that flows out of them. He said that out of your innermost being will flow rivers of living water. Jesus has placed you in the world, whether in the workplace or in your neighborhood or with your family. He has put within you his Holy Spirit so that God's life might flow out of you to where you are. You are a vessel of God's mercy in the world personally. You are his representative. Out of you flow rivers of living water. But then collectively, congregationally, he brings us together and unites us with one heart and one voice. And we have a shared mission when we bring those rivers flowing out of us all together into a great ocean of God's mercy and love. And we describe it this way. Why are we together? Here's our mission statement. To bring the transforming life and love of Jesus Christ to every generation of our members, our neighbors, and the nations through the power of the gospel in word and deed and sign. You and I are not called by God because he looked at us and saw greatness. We are envisioned and called by God because he saw sinfulness and he saw weakness. Paul said this to the Corinthians, God has chosen the weak and the foolish. And so it's good to be a Calvinist and to know you're chosen. But just remember who he chose, the weak and the foolish, the ones who have nothing to confound the ones who have everything. 
That's who God has chosen. And so God has spent 2,000 years drawing straight lines with crooked sticks. Aren't you glad? And so God has had mercy on us, but then called us together as servants and witnesses. How do we do that? Well, there's a movement of ministry that takes place in this passage. In the book of Acts here in verses 19 and 20 here of chapter 26, Paul describes how he carries out this mission. He says, first in Damascus, that's right where he was. First in Damascus. Then Jerusalem, that's where he'd come from, that was home. So he started right where he was and then he started with his home and then it says he went out into Judea, which was the surrounding area. And then to the Gentiles, the nations of the world, there was a movement from the inside out. And that starting with home base is critical. You see, as a church, we're committed to planting churches all over the world. I'll say more about that in just a moment and all over. But I'm telling you straight up, you got to start to take care of home base. You cannot have a culture which you export to other places if the culture where you are is toxic, if it isn't healthy. It's got to be a healthy church culture, and it's got to be a church which is effective where it is. It's got to be a church that's reaching every generation right where it is so that it can then begin to export that mission to other places. You got to take care of home base. One of the greatest examples of failing to do this ever I've, I've read about and seen with my own eyes is noted by the late theologian Leslie Newbigin. Leslie Newbigin was an English missionary for years and he was in India serving Hindu people and he was there for over 20 years and then he came back to England and he was stunned when he got back to find the churches which were once full now empty and the evangelistic and missional impulse that had sent him to India and had sent so many missionaries in so many places was absent. And the highlight of this was a, 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 a community in his city that was full of Hindu people. There was a church right in the middle of it, but the Anglican church decided to close it. They decided to close it because it was a Hindu neighborhood and no one would come. And he went, he went to them and he said, you just sent me to India for 20 years to minister to Hindu people. You've got a church right here and you're closing it? Why in the world would you think you're not called to minister to those people? That's the perfect place for them. So he planted a church right there. He took them, he said, give me the building. I'll plant the church right there. You see, what happens is if you don't take care of home base, then the churches that were once full begin to empty out. And you know, friends, you've probably seen the statistics and that's beginning to happen in many places. So you and I have to be those who are servants and witnesses. How do we serve? Well, I'm gonna give you a few things today that represent what we have to serve in and what we have to bear witness with. Let me just tell you straight up that one of the things going on today is that we have to, in our service, Fight for and win the next generation, the rising generation. My friends, we have got to fight for our children. We got to fight for our teenagers. We got to fight for our young adults. And we've got to supply them with all the ministry possible so that we can make disciples of the next generation. We have got to win that battle. 
The battle for the next generation is critical simply because, not simply because um, our, our children are covenant children and we're given that responsibility, but we also have a responsibility for those who don't yet know the Lord. The median age of the global population is 28. 42% of the world's population today is under the age of 25. The median Christian in the world, just your median Christian in the world, is, is not a white European or North American. Uh, that's not where all the Christians are anymore. They've emptied out the churches in Europe. There are churches in North America that are emptying out. No, the median Christian in the world today isn't even male, but female, and not white, but brown. This median Christian is in Africa, or Asia, or South America, or Central America, where the church is exploding, where great and tremendous growth is taking place. And, I, and she's also far more Pentecostal than Presbyterian, I'm, I'm just going to tell you. And she doesn't have 16 Bibles. She's thankful for the one that she has. And she's taking the gospel of Jesus to her village. And God is raising up servants all over the world to take the good news. And people are coming from Africa and South America and Central America to North America and to Europe and replanting churches and re-evangelizing whole continents and whole groups of people that had abandoned the faith for the last generation. We have got to win that generation. We've got to be strong and communicate the gospel of Jesus and the truth about Jesus to the rising generation. You cannot look upon the growing number of children in this church or at Spanish River Christian School or in the teens ministry or in our young adult group and go, good luck, best to you, I did my time. I've heard people say that to me. I can't be involved in children's, children's work. I did my time like it was a sentence. <laughs> no, 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 no. You're, you've got accumulated wisdom. God is calling you. If you go, is that the Lord speaking to me? Yes, that's the Lord speaking to you. Why? Because there's tremendous despair in that age group. Tremendous despair. Between 2006 and 2016, the suicide rate for ages between 10 and 17, rose 70% in this country. You can't ignore that. You can't sit on the sidelines. This is an all hands on deck moment. And young people are leaving the church in droves. In the last decade, the church lost 2.6 million young adults. 260,000 a year between the ages of 18 and 29. That's 712 a day. We plant in the United States 4,000 churches a year and 3,700 close. That's a net of 300. That will not get the job done. It will not get the job done. And that is why, brothers and sisters, when Jesus, if Jesus has appeared to you, if his beauty has captured your heart, if the gospel has saved you, you cannot look on the world he came to save with indifference and go, somebody else will do it. No, my friends, God has saved you and appointed you with a purpose to be a servant and a witness. And you go, well, some of them will come back. I know some of those are odyssey years. I understand that, but many have not. And there are many reasons many young people are not in church. Some because, of course, maybe they never met Christ. But maybe some have left the church because they did meet him. And they don't want to be part of a church that is more harmful than helpful. And doesn't understand that it's been given the mission of God in the world. Of course, there are many who have been counter-discipled by the 
internal vices which plague every human being and the external seductive voices of a social media culture that offers them a counter catechesis than the one that is the way of Jesus. But in a culture, a pervasive culture, which is increasingly dismissive of the Christian faith and not just dismissive but hostile because it views the church not as a helpful presence but as a harmful presence, you have to change the narrative. And the only way you can change that narrative is by becoming a servant. My, my friends, my brothers and sisters, the, the church in the world cannot be treating the people who are not yet believers in Jesus as enemies. You have to treat them as the objects of God's mercy. There has to come this massive shift in the way that we view things. It has to be there. This means we have to strengthen those ministries. We have to be intentional about it. We have to strengthen pastoral care. Every single one of those things have to happen. This also means we need to witness together in the world. I've appointed you a servant and a witness. Now, this means we have to learn to proclaim the good news of Jesus in every area of life. Most of you aren't going to stand on a platform and preach the gospel somewhere. You're going to be in an office, a law office, a finance office, a business office of some kind. You're going to be in a neighborhood. You're going to be in a mother's group. You're going to be with a dad's group. You're going to be in one of the soccer ministries that we have. We're going to be in, you're going to be in Upward. You're going to be engaged with your children's athletic teams. Uh, oh, wait, sorry, most of those folks are gone today. That's a different thing. Um, <laughs> you're going to be involved in all of these things, and actually God has placed you in those, and it's so that you can bear witness. But here's the thing. Many Christians don't know how to share Christ with other people. We have to learn, and we have to equip people to do that. We're committed to doing that. We have to engage in mercy mission where we live, starting right here. We have to engage with all of our partners like nurturing the newborn and all of the various mercy ministries that are in this community. We have to give towards them. We have to fund those things so that the naked are clothed and the homeless are housed and the neglected and the lonely find friends. And then friends, yes, we have to plant churches. We have to plant them here. We have to plant them in the United States. We have to plant them around the world. And years ago, David Nicholas made that a priority. That is something that is part of our missional priority. We will continue to gather church planters from all around the world every year to equip them, to renew them, to refresh them. We will set aside funds immediately so that we can be involved in church planting around the world because ultimately what Paul did when Christ appeared to him is he went out and he didn't just share generally, he went out and he brought people together into these communities of faith and witness called churches. Many people today are dismissive of the church, but it is churches that need to be planted. They don't have to be large. Sometimes they can be small. In fact, many times smaller churches will do more than larger churches. And so it's, it's not a question of success in the way the world views it. It's a question of faithfulness before God. And that's true for every single one of us. Now, this means every single one of us have to get engaged with the mission. It's not that this church has a mission. It's that Christ has a mission in the world. And he gives us the privilege of participating in it. What are we doing with that privilege? Will we participate in it? Or will we continue to simply sit on the sidelines and think that the church exists to entertain us? Or does the church exist to equip us to join in the mission that Jesus has in the whole world?
You see, friends, as we come together, whether it's on a Wednesday for prayer or it's here on Sunday morning or it's Saturday night or it's in various community groups and so on, meeting all over the city, in whatever ways we come together, those have got to be not only times of comfort and times of instruction, but times of equipping where we're learning and we're doing what God's called us to do. Now, that means we've got to add to our budget because we are growing every single week and we're going to have to add staff for that. Um, I know it's Labor Day weekend, and so a lot of people are away this weekend. But uh, you know, you know how much it's been growing. And and the truth is, we'll probably have to go to two services before the end of the year. And uh, you know, we'll see what happens. But I don't know what. But but here's here's the deal. You know what that really represents? That represents an overflow in the children's ministry. That represents new staff that's needed there, new staff that's needed with, with middle school, new staff that's needed with high school, new staff that's needed with, with, um, with our young adult ministry. All of that stuff has to get added in, and it's not in the budget right now. I'll have to add in another couple of hundred thousand dollars just to meet those needs just this year. You know what? Here's, what, here's the deal. Can I, I'm just going to be honest with you because I'm not going to preach four Sundays to you on giving. I'm just going to tell you straight. So if you're new with us here for a minute, um, family business for just a minute. We can't keep living on, on 50% of our members giving nothing. Zippo. Nothing. You go, oh, but we got wealthy people and they'll give. You got a couple wealthy people. Two or three. No, actually, every single one of us are wealthy Every single one of us are wealthy. If you've been to other places in the world, you know how wealthy, how wealthy this country is. It's, even the poorest among us are wealthy. But look, in every church, there's always 10% that can't give. I want those 10%. I want you to hear me now. This is not a guilt trip in any way. There are plenty of people here who cannot give. You can't. But you do have talent to give. You do have, you do have time to give, even if you don't have treasure to give. And yes, there are people who are entrusted by God with great wealth. And you are spoken to very clearly in the Bible in 1 Timothy 6 to be as generous as possible with the tremendous wealth you've been given to help many and to help in the, in the spread of the cause of the gospel. But friends, every single, every single gift counts. You might think, well, my gift isn't needed. It's just small. It's a little dinky gift. But in the temple one day, Jesus saw people putting in lots. And by the way, can we just contextualize this? They didn't write checks in the temple. They didn't, they didn't uh, give, give on text. They didn't go online to give. Um, they didn't transfer stock gifts in Jerusalem in the first century. What they had in the temple were these giant metal drums. They kind of looked like big trumpets. And of course, all the currency wasn't even paper currency, much less checks. It was all metal. So if you gave a lot of money and you dumped it all inside one of those metal receivers, what did it do? It made a lot of noise. And so if you gave a lot, guess what? Everybody knew. Whoa, look at that. So, you know, here comes some people, woof, bam, Symbols going off. I mean, it's loud. And you go, that's impressive. Then a woman, a widow, came by with a mite. I've got one. It's a, ti it's a tiny little coin, tiny little coin. She walks up and she puts it in. What sound did that make? Dink. Dink. It was a dink gift. Except to Jesus. Jesus said, she just gave more than everybody. See, every single one of you are a gift. 
And every single one of you have gifts of the Spirit which are given to you to help others. And every single one of you have treasures, even if you think that they're small, to join in. And if you think that you can be part of a church and just never participate, you haven't understood what a church is. A church is not an aggregation of people that just meet on a Sunday and cheer. That's called a football game. A church is a congregation of the committed who care for one another, whose hearts have been captured by Jesus, who want to share him with the whole world. And because he's so beautiful and so bountiful, they will take everything that they have and all the rest of their lives and everything that they possess and lay them at the feet of Jesus and say, Lord, use me to bring your gospel to the world. Amen. That's the church. And that's our vision. If you're wondering, what is this church? That's our vision. That's it. Don't come here, please, if you just want to fill a seat and be entertained. But if you want to be equipped, come on, come on. Don't come up to me and say, oh, you fed me well, because here's what I'm going to say to you. I'm here to teach you to cook and feed the world, because God has called you. Consequently, King Agrippa, Paul said, I did not prove disobedient to the heavenly vision. Consequently, King Agrippa, I kept the vision. You know, friends, one day, we're gonna stand before a king far more impressive than a Herodian prince. We're gonna stand before the king of kings, the Lord of lords, and we need to be able to say to him, we were not disobedient to the heavenly vision. We need to hear him say to us, well done, good and let me Let me just tell to you this way. It doesn't matter to me if Spanish River Church is 2,000 people or 200,000 people or 200 people. Let me tell you what matters. What matters is that on judgment day, when we stand before the Lord, he found us faithful. Tell the truth. Bear witness to the world. Serve one another. Take this gospel to every generation and every nation. Plant churches, don't stop. And whatever you have, bring it. Whatever grace God has given you, bring it. The world needs what God has put in you because when God gives a gift to the world, he usually wraps it in a person. You have been called. Let's pray. Lord, we ask that you would so work in us, so envision us, that you, you, would, you would capture us with this knowledge that you have appeared to us to turn us into servants and witnesses. And as we come to your table this morning, as we break bread, as we take the bread, as we take communion, would you renew in us a commitment to you and your mission in the world? And all God's people said, amen. amen. God bless you, my friends.